Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit BuzzRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Sandy Hart. We'll be talking about her journey, as well as her new book, The Liminal Odyssey, The Alchemical Power of the Spaces in Between. In The Liminal Odyssey, Sandy Hart invites readers to step into, not over, the thresholds of their daily lives to explore the transformative power of the space between crisis and action. Oftentimes, we simply step over the mundane or ignore what may seem meaningless, not realizing what gems these synchronicities and messages can actually reveal in our lives. Combining two stories and lessons from Sandy's life with practical wisdom to inspire the readers on their own journey, the Liminal Odyssey details how we can alchemize our own lives. Sandy outlines the 12 skills she deems fundamental to such a journey, including the art of listening, forgiveness, grace, cultivation of synchronicity, and trust. These skills, among others, provide the tools and lay the groundwork for a paradigm shift allowing readers to explore the gifts that exist in the everyday. Sandy Hart is an award-winning leader in the fields of women's empowerment and interfaith community building. She founded the Women's Interfaith International Grassroots Organization with the acronym SARA, S-A-R-A-H, standing for the Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope, the morning of 9-11 and instinct to gather women of diverse faiths to protect all that they consider sacred. For more information, you can visit Tandy's website, which is www.liminalodyssey.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Sandy to the show. Good day, Sandy. Good day. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It is my pleasure. And, and the topic that we're going to discuss today, I can be very much paradigm shifting because I've been thinking about it since the, the time we booked the show. So um, <laughs> let's first start with you know the title of the book. Okay, um, you know that's kind of um, like the most important kind of message you want to give out. So, what was the story behind the title of your book? Yeah, so the the actual working title of this book was originally going to be what I ultimately uh, called Chapter 1, which is What About the Dog? Because that is the story that I set out to tell. And I tried to tell that story for probably the last 15 years. My friends have been urging me to tell about this wild story that happened to me in 1982 in a new successful rally called Peace Sunday at the Rose Bowl that something pretty magnificent happened and that was life-affirming or changing for me. And they 
my friends have been, like I said, really encouraging me to tell this story, but I didn't have enough story to tell, so I kept putting it down. And then about a mm-hmm. year ago, I picked up my pen again, and I started to write, then I started thinking about this new word that I had just heard called liminal. And I understood it at the time to mean threshold. Uh, the threshold, like you said, the threshold between crisis and action, the liminal and choice. Um, it's also the liminal, it's the space between the, in this evolutionary growth where we are in right now. You know, we are where we've come from the last 2,500 years and there about, even dating back almost say 10,000 BC and moving into a new era and to this unknown place that is calling us. We are in a liminal space. So when I started thinking about that word liminal while I was, again, you know, trying to write this story, I started thinking about, well, what were the liminal spaces in that moment for me that were really profound um, on Peace Sunday, 1982? And I started just really expanding my awareness of what was really going on inside of me, that I was really showing up as a a spiritual activist, that I was really paying attention to the sacred art of listening, that I was really trusting my body and my soul. But all of these conditions that I ended up writing about um, became so gorgeous and, and expanded to even more stories more uh, uh, skills that, uh, like you said, I, I outline. But the idea of what the original book was to what it actually became completely transformed. The whole complexion of the book and the message completely changed from, um, you know, what it means to really pay attention to those spaces in between to really becoming midwives to this new place that is calling us, this new evolution that we are growing into collectively and what's our responsibility in it. Yeah, and Odyssey, yeah, I like that. it's a bill. <laughs> <laughs> it, it had to be an Odyssey. <laughs> an epic journey, for sure. <laughs> um, epic so, and epoch, yeah. <laughs> so now, uh, would you mind sharing, you know, what about the dog? I mean, because I think that story um, kind of really, I mean, it's really the essence uh, um, of the book, you know, and so I think the listeners would kind of, you know, their awareness of the story, I think, would help. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a pretty cool story, actually. Uh, again, 1982, I went to a no-nukes rally and music festival um, everyone who was relevant since the 60s were there, a lineup of musicians and bands and, and also speakers in the form of activists and politicians and environmentalists and celebrities and thought leaders, um, all shared the stage that day from 10 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night in this sort of weaving between bands and band would break down the speaker and then the speaker would would move away and the band would another band would come in so it was just this beautiful tapestry all day long well right in the very beginning of the day the MC comes to the microphone and reports which she had just learned was 
um, that someone had left their dog in the car in the parking lot, and the windows were rolled up, and it's going to be a very hot day, and if that's your dog, please go roll your windows down. And the, there was a low grade over the crowd, but they were drowned out by the next speaker. And I, though, was not. My soul was woke up <laughs> to this, this <laughs> moral cry for action. It was, uh, it was a bellowing horn, I think I describe it as, that I just could not unhear. And, and it really rattled me. So when there was a moment between that speaker and the band setting up, I just started to chant from, I was sitting kind of stage left, rather close to the stage. I was sure they could hear me. You know, if I, I was 21 mm-hmm. years old and it was a music festival in the, in, you know, in the 80s. So there was a, the, there was a, a, a lot going on in, in, as a 21 year old there. And I was sure that I could be heard. I was sure that if I was relentless and consistent with my voice that I chanted over and over again, what about the dog? What about the dog? What about the dog? It could be heard, and surely they'd report back immediately. And um, then again, I was drowned out. The next opportunity came, and now my friends chanted with me. And this went on, oh, a couple more, you know, a couple more um, cycles <laughs> of moments of silence. And now our whole, our whole section was chanting with me. And it did not take long, maybe by 11.30 or, or noon, that um, the entire stadium was chanting, what about the dog? And that mm-hmm. chant went on all day long until about 7.30, I believe it was, the MC comes to the stage and says, so you want to know about the dog? And I just remember the crowd going wild. And then reports, the dog is fine. And I do remember trash flying in the air, everybody's arms up in the air. And again, 100,000 people at the Rose Bowl. You know, there was a lot of energy there, especially by 7.30 that night. And then Mr. Stevie Wonder comes to the microphone and asks for five minutes of silence. I, I was really taken back by that because I understood that he would definitely not have gotten that silence if they had not satisfied the big question of the day. Um, and, mm-hmm. and yet what really struck me, and that's when it really hit me, that the, the symbolism of it all, you know, we were all there for protecting and restoring our planet, for non-nuclear, for nuclear non-proliferation, for, you know, protecting all that we consider sacred, and yet everybody collectively agreed about the humanity of this dog, and uh, that's been living in me for 40 years now, Wow! and I finally got a way to tell the story. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. You'll be telling a lot, and people will be reading about Well, you know, I mean, it really does show the power of, of one voice, you know, that is loud, you know, um, and persistent. You know, it seems like those, you know, those two aspects were important in building, um, you know, building that uh, kind of reaction. So do, do you feel then that um, 
there was what, what would you say was the lum, was the luminal experience in that for you that you know the the power of what you could do um or tell, tell us how, you know how there it became that threshold moment well first i i want to say that in that power is awesome responsibility and that we all, all of us, have a chant in us, a proverbial chant in us. There's something mm-hmm. that we all can stand for. There's something that matters to all of us in a different way. And when we live into that and we make our voice matter, and you don't have to start a chant amongst 100,000 people in, in such an environment to really touch hearts. Some can do it through subtle activism, through meditation, prayer. We, you know, collective prayer is powerful. I mean, those are the two extremes. Some do it through their vote. We do it through our buying power, what we choose to exchange our money for and the impact on that. But, but to answer your question, what was going on in me and, and, and what I recognized at that moment um, which also became a pattern in the book of how I told each story, was the sacred art of listening. Listening my soul into a condition of discovery of what was important to me. And, um, and that, that's it. That's the skill. That's the first skill that I outline. Um, the value of that. And it's a practice. I happen to have recognized it in myself all these years later. I wasn't aware of it at the time. Um, but I can look back and go, that was alive in me. Body awareness and that skill was totally alive in me that day. And so the sacred art of listening is really what what catalyzed that moment for me. What real, was the, I say the activating yeast mm-hmm. in the moment that <laughs> got me to rise, literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, funny. Well, you know, um, but listening is very important, you know, and I, I know for me that's kind of <laughs> one of my challenges throughout life is, is listening, you know, and recognizing, you know, what I'm hearing as something important to consider, you know. Um, but, you know, the in addition to the listening is that, you know, once you get the message, it seems that it requires action. I'm, you know, it, I mean, listening is good, but there's a point that it, I guess, could be transformed, in, you know, into action. Now, I, you know, part of your book, part of the um, title of your book is talking about the alchemical power of, of liminal experiences. So I'm interested in alchemy why alchemy and you know is you know uh the experience of listening and action and a chemical process yeah um the alchemical practice and i just love that word alchemy because it transforms a collection of conditions to a con- to a new coherence, uh, uh, something greater than the sum of its parts. 
And often it's surprising and something we cannot know, but it's it's an, it's an it's it's uh, full potential. Uh, for example, what you know what we've learned about alchemizing metal to gold, you know what the original where that word really came from, where alchemists can turn metal into gold. Well. In that way, we can turn what looks like a mundane experience or something insignificant that we might be thinking over or discounting as just this interesting experience that happened to me on Sunday or even a crack in the sidewalk, you know, <laughs> you know, it could be anything mm-hmm. looking around you. If you really have intention and then will, and I want to talk about that, intention and will are partners, but when you really when you really take the time and slow down to the speed of awe and wonder about what's really going on, you can you can really surprise yourself with what comes out, and you are alchemizing that moment where it would have otherwise just remembered that remained as perhaps a stagnant, interesting thing that is now behind you and forgotten. Whereas alchemizing it can lead you into a journey to the great wide open. And mm-hmm. it's magical. It truly is magical what is discovered. And yet these are discoveries that we all have within ourselves to disclose through the, yeah. the you know, yeah. the alchemical process. Yeah. yeah. So with the – okay, so we've got – and I understand those, you know, the idea of Looking at um, the, the mundane you know, or the daily, you know, and, and looking at it, you know, through new eyes to, like you say, recognize, you know, just uh, the sheer beauty, the sheer, you know, creation. Well, looking at it at a different level, you know, I mean, look at your strongest, just like new eyes, like the first time you've seen it. So, is that recognition, that um, awareness of kind of like, I guess, the magic of what's going on around you in any particular moment, is, is that the um, – is that – you mentioned potential. Is that the, the point of potential that we have to change to change the basis of our lives, I mean, how we react to that particular moment. Does that make any sense? To me, it makes perfect sense. Every moment is an invitation. Everything okay. mm-hmm. that that you that you that is meaningful to you is an invitation. And if it's not yet meaningful to you, I invite everybody to just stop and the first thing your eyes land on. You'll find meaning in it, and then follow that meaning, and then you might discover a synchronicity. You might discover a memory. You might feel something in your throat or in your in your stomach or in your back. You might physically experience something that is worth paying attention to. All of this is under the category of awareness, and all of this requires trust. Trust that what you're experiencing is a fun post to pay attention to. And I like the expression of turning it over and looking at the end of the carriage. Is it, may I share this beautiful 
sentence out of a beautiful poem by my friend, Reverend Lisa Lee. Um, she's a unity minister mm-hmm. here in Las Vegas. And she, it, this, this uh, sentence is just sort of says it all. It's the child in us that asks, where am I going? Or how do I get there? Is to miss the crimson red flower growing out of the rock in the sidewalk. And so, yes, we certainly need to know where we are going in our gate, but sometimes we're not supposed to be going there. Sometimes our lives aren't supposed to be going in the direction that they're going. Sometimes we're just in a trance going through our lives. It's, it's an opportunity to stop in a, in a condition of timefulness, another skill, and a word I term, that I coined. You know how to be mindful, we know how to be thoughtful. But, we don't give an awful lot of time to being timeful. So when we're timeful in that, in that moment that we recognize something, then mm-hmm. we can we can raise our level of awareness. And it's a practice. It's a practice, and it doesn't take too long. And we know through neuroplasticity that we can retrain our brains. <laughs> so it's science. Hello. It's not, I don't even take my word for it. It's science. Whether you believe it or not, it's true sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's very important. Now, um, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago the partners, <laughs> intention and will. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about the role they play in living a luminous life. Mm-hmm. This is really important. Thank you for bringing me back there. Um, this is all really great, and it's a really interesting concept to think about it, but it only really matters, or I should say, it, the rubber really hits the road when it's practiced when it's not convenient or comfortable. You know, when we hmm. have to disrupt the old ways that we have been walking through um, to really examine if they're meaningful to us and if they really are going to get us where we're supposed to go, what's best for us and in and, you know, in, in a condition that we are really living into our sole purpose or, you know, you know, utilizing all of the skills and the gifts that we've been gifted with to be here on this planet at this time. Um, and so the intention is one thing. Intention is it's easy to have intention to do things. I mean, if you've ever been on a diet, <laughs> we all know. <laughs> Yeah, we all have the intention to lose 10, 20, whatever pounds, right? But the will is a whole other story. I have the intention to be really patient with the phone solicitor. Do I have the will when it's not convenient and I'm really irritated? That's a whole other story. So really practicing the what may feel like a sacrifice of of our comfort level, yet looking at it through the lens of getting us closer to bliss, getting us closer to a, to a place of really being in our integrity and, you know, and in, in, in operating as a spiritual activist, actually, you know, um, where we're not, we're not, you know, we're not we're, we're actually living what we believe in and what our intention yeah. is so will is really you know the, is really in charge 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's kind of what, uh, it's the, the source of uh, the life we live, of the create, life we create um, for ourselves. Um, so now, what, when, what, you have 12 skills that you highlighted in the book. So how did the, what was the process for developing or identifying those particular skills? The process was really interesting. The whole book wrote me. And so it was a, it was an experience of discovery and disclosure, every word I typed. And when I started writing about what, what about the dog and I started to experience the, um, the, the expansion inside of me and the awareness that was waking me up to all these other wildly synchronistic stories that were, I would say, most of which were kind of at the same level of interest as what about the dog that I had discounted as just being an interesting or, you know, something I can journal about, but I never really talked much about them. So I thought, I'm going to really write about that. And then um, I started thinking about, okay, well, as I'm writing, I started noticing, you know, other skills and practices that were very prevalent for me in what was happening in that moment. So for example, um, the last chapter, well, let me, let me go back to, um, um, the chapter on the sacred integrity of our creation, intergenerational trauma, really looking at intergenerational trauma and, um, and what was going on. And it's like, okay, really paying attention to our ancestors and our allies and those who have our back, and also clearing that which no longer serves us. So we have to be really impeccable with not just, we have to be really impeccable and honest with ourselves of what behaviors we are perpetuating, and to know that these these conditions that aren't healthy, that may have been passed down the family line, whether through the cellular memory or through um, behaviors, the, the buck stops with me. I have free will. I can look at that trauma and go, okay, it doesn't have to be trauma anymore. And I certainly don't have to pass it on to my children and my grandchildren. As a matter of fact, I can't if I really want to live as a spiritual activist. I really can't. Mm -hmm. And I also have to be impeccably clean because I am, we're all going to the same place in this new evolution, this place, unknown place that's calling us. I don't want to poison the water hole when I get there. So I need to be impeccably clean with how I'm showing up in the world. So that's an example of how while I'm writing each chapter about each experience that happened to me and realizing what was really alive in me. So it wasn't intentional that my chapters would be in two parts, you know, the first story and second with the skill or practice. Uh, but, mm-hmm. it's, but that's how it unfolded. And then I stood back, I stood back and I looked at all these skills and I kind of listed them on a piece of paper by themselves and I'm like, holy wow, they are all interrelated, interconnected. And by the way, how they've lined up and how I told the story, they're all building blocks for one another. They're all, they're all, they're all necessary for one another. And then what happens when you put them in that petri dish, <laughs> stir them up mm-hmm. and there we alchemize them into this you know, a skill, master skill, 
this, you know, super mm-hmm. skill that is the philosophy of the liminal odyssey. That's where the concept of the liminal odyssey really, it's more than a book, it's also a philosophy. So that's how it unfolded uh, through each story that I was called into sharing. And as I'm expanding on them, new insights, new practices, and I really need to say that every practice that I cite and have practiced myself, I... I give credit to and explain how that came into my life. And most of those skills and practices that came from world-renowned thought leaders, scientists, doctors, thought, uh, authors, I got from them personally, either as friends or being in the same room with them. And so um, I'm, I'm living that practice through my storytelling as well as yeah. telling about it. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and I understand very much how um, a book uh, that one can be just basically a conduit for the book that is ready to be written. You know, it's like, okay, you know, Sandy, here we go. Um, we're gonna lay it on the line for you. I mean, I the first book I wrote was very much that way. I mean, it was, you know, I didn't know what I was gonna write till I wrote it, and the story just unfolded and. You know, I had to walk every day to, to get the input for what, was, what I was going to write for the day. So it, you know, it's one of those things where I think, oh, and, and the one point I want to make, too, is you mentioned how um, that, you know, it happens over time. You know, one of the things that I kind of like one of my life lessons is when things aren't happening according to my timeline, you know, it's quite often that there needs to be something else that needs to happen first. You know, in in the scheme of things, um, so I really um, uh, uh, unattached myself to a lot of times. Uh, you know, when something is supposed to, when I think something is supposed to be done and out, you know, uh, and ready to uh, turn it over and recognize that you know there is a time and it will come. <laughs> and and. And that is magnificent. Thank you for doing that because you are being, you are practicing the sacred art of listening. You are paying attention to what's going on. You're trusting what's coming through. You're getting, you have non-attachment to um, the outcome. And what wants to unfold will unfold. And, and, that's a blessing. And how many times did you grab your head and go, wow, who wrote that when you were writing your book? <laughs> I did. I mean, I, I, it, it, yeah. I go back and read it again. I, that, was, that was like um, 20 years ago that I did that. Um, so, you know, I was only 10 years, 10 years ago. But still, you know, I go back and read it. It's like, wow, that was pretty darn good. <laughs> you know? Right. And I knew that it yeah. wasn't my, my linear thinking that I kind of put those words all together. But, but that's okay, you know. Um, like you say, it's, uh, for me, you know, listening had always been a challenge. So that particular project um, really focused on honing my learning, you know, in, in a way that um, I really wanted to connect. You know, I mean, each day it was like you know, I walked and 
got an idea and wrote it. And so, I mean, it was just one of those things where it became the desire to know became the driving force. Um, so, but anyway. Oh, curiosity. Curiosity is such a beautiful place to be. When you operate in curiosity, absolutely. you open up for possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, well, Sandy, we're halfway through the call. I'm going to take just a quick break. Um, okay. Um, and then when we come back, you touched on synchronicity, and I want to kind of go into more detail about that, okay? You got it. Okay. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello. This is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Sandy Hart, and we're talking about her new book, The Liminal Odyssey, The Alchemical Power of the Spaces in Between. Again, you can find out more by visiting her website, which is www.liminalodyssey.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Sandy. Hi, I'm so happy to be back. Thank you. I'm happy to have you, too. Um, so, synchronicity. You mentioned, you know, that you went back and, and, you know, a lot, they play a big part of the stories in your book. So, tell us, if you wouldn't mind, uh, about your perspective of what, you know, what they are, you know, and can they be increased? Can you work to have more? In your life. You can definitely cultivate synchronicities, and I strongly recommend them, recommend that you do that, because they are the storylines of our life. They're, it's all about connecting meaningful occurrences, and which is what a synchronicity is. A synchronicity is a, is a, um, connection between two or more, um, meaningful events that are related in some way. The storyline of our life, which is not really a line, I think it can be, a, it can zig and it can zag and it can spiral and go up and down and make, you know, get all tangled up actually in some <laughs> cases. Um, and yet 
the, the expression storyline doesn't do it justice, but it's truly um, really important to pay attention to not just the storylines that connect, but really dive into the connecting points. And usually what connects one meaningful experience to another is an ally, somebody who made that experience possible for you, whether it was a villain or in your story, you know, someone who set you on a different path, much to your, you know, you know, much to your disliking. Um, and I've had a number of those detours, but those detours took me down a really interesting path and taught me some wildly interesting um, lessons and are part of the fabric of who I am. So when you look back, that the storylines, what they really create is a net. And I love the expression of Indra's net. And Indra is short for Indra Juali, who is the king of the heavens, according to Buddhist philosophy. And this net, and not king, king of the universe, king of the heavens universe. And basically, this is a net that envelops, spans the entirety of the, of the universe. So you can imagine. And yet, I think every one of us have a mind that is a universe in itself and a body that is a universe. We are our own universe. We are our own ecosystem of experiences and lessons and joys and sorrows. And we make up this, this Indra's net. But it's really paying attention to those pearls, those, and the often reflective pearls if you look at an Indra's net. Um, about what the story is. Those are liminal spaces. You can have a wild liminal odyssey in each one of those pearls of, of connection or pools of connection. And the more you start connecting these lines, the more the line, more lines start showing up. And the more lines that start showing up, the more pearls start showing up. And, and then when you're done, you can actually stand back and see sacred geometry. You can see what's known as the flower of life, you know, this organism that is present in all living matter. And, um, again, science. <laughs> but it's, it's wildly fascinating when you cultivate synchronicities because those are the great stories. A synchronicity is a call for your attention. A synchronicity is a call, an invitation to say, what was that about? And why am I supposed to pay attention to this? And where's the meaning? Where are the connected pearls? Let's dive into those pools and swim around <laughs> and see what's going on here. And make it an odyssey. Yeah. And practice those tools, yeah. too, by the way. What's that? I said, and bring those yeah. tools with you practice those tools in that liminal space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are there any particular skills that you would identify as being um, important or, or um, can contribute to one's ability to, de to decipher or even recognize a synchronous? Awareness is Oh, awareness, which is not necessarily 
a single skill that I outlined, but it's part of a bigger skill that I will share with you. Awareness is the key. And, and, and then the skill of timefulness is really, really important. Really slowing down to, you know, what is going on. Paying attention, paying it honor, respecting that, that, that invitation. So timefulness is really important. And I use the expression, um, in, in the, the book that, um, and what, what a Japanese ideogram refers to as ma. And it's about being timeful. It's the space between the notes that actually makes the music. It's the space in the bow that you, and the depth of the bow that shows that. And it's the, it's the, it's the space between the steps of the tango that makes it a tango. And so when we really practice timefulness, that is an essential skill. And when you also practice the skill of trust, I consider trust the bonding agent of all of the other schools. And, and the bonding agent of trust reminds us that we live in a, in a conscious loving universe, that the soul is conspiring for our greatest purpose, that there is one of us, even though we are encouraged and should be, you know, full and taught autonomy, we are a, a living organism as a single unit, as a collective unit, and how we actually operate. Um, and then there are within the trust frequency, and I trust, and I have an entire chapter on the trust frequency, which is the name of the book, The, tr- the Ten... The Ten Assumptions for a New Paradigm, uh, written by Connie Baxter Marlowe and Andrew Cameron Bailey. And the, um, the skills that they outline are so important besides these fundamental, fundamental principles. They have these seven A's, awareness of our higher truth, awakening to our own divinity, um, um, you know, attention, and I can go on. They're all listed in the book as well. Their book is a beautiful book. Um, and yet, since I, and although I outline 12 particular skills, and those are two essential elements, two essential practices, and listening. And by the way, the act of listening is not all about the act of listening. It's all about preparing the listen. So, again, these are all practices that you could build real muscle, real capacity with when you practice them. And yet, with all of that said, anyone can apply any skills that they already pull up in their lives. Everybody has some modality or methodology that they pull up when they're triggered or, you know, or what, you know, a value system or a virtue that they remember to be their better selves, you know, in the moment. Um, and yet, and there's room for that in the liminal odyssey. It's not so much about the skills, although mine, uh, I think, are really important, um, and they won't surprise probably any of your listeners <laughs> because they are mm-hmm. all things. There might be a couple there that are new, but um, but there's room for your skills in there too. 
what matters is how you use them, how you practice them, and when you practice them together as as uh, as uh, interrelated and interdependent upon one another, uh, and practice them, they get us to a place where we are we can shift the culture of the planet, let alone prepare us for where we're going together. Yeah, um, that you know the. Uh working toward our our better self, our, our good self. What how does um liminal experience um uh, work with one that say past trauma or, or maybe even current trauma or even that shadow side we may have or, you know, that a good Robert is kind of temporarily silenced, you know, with a, a little shadow side. How does a liminal perspective or, you know, awareness help with those challenges? Well, I, I should first say that I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist, or an expert on trauma, but I, I know you're I, I, yet. For me, what works for me mm-hmm. is that trust frequency. I had a little trauma yesterday, in fact. And while I still felt the pressure in my chest and a super, super heavy condition of anxiety, my, I immediately, because I've been practicing this, I immediately went to, okay, what's really supposed to, what's this really about? And if it's, how am I benefiting from this? What, it, why is this here? And I've learned in my own life that the harder the lesson, the more painful the experience or tra- traumatic or dramatic the experience, the bigger a call to action it is, the bigger invitation it is. Maybe I wasn't listening before. Maybe I had no control over this at all and have truly just walked into this situation unknowingly. But why? But what am I here to learn about this? What am I supposed to clear in myself? That's the only thing I think any of us have control over are the things that we can clear in ourselves. That's why intergenerational trauma is such a important chapter for me. I'm, it's like picking my favorite child. <laughs> it's a little guilty even saying that I have a favorite. But intergenerational trauma is such a biggie because we are informed by our cellular memory, by a certain culture we were raised in, by a certain um, behavioral pattern that we were raised in or that we have lived in for a significant amount of time. This is what drives us through our day. And what what happens when you start working on that intergenerational trauma? And I, I just want to um, shout out to Dr. Rabbi Terza Firestone because her work on ancestral healing is so profound. It was for me in my life, and I continue to learn so much from her. Her process she takes you through and unpacking that trauma, witnessing it first, and then reconciling with it. It's a process. None of this is easy. Some of it's easy, I should say. Some of it's like turning on a light switch if that works for you. Um, but some of it all requires practice. So, yeah, it's trauma's a big one. 
But one thing we do yeah. have control over is our perspective and our attitude and our awareness and also the assumptions we are living in, which, again, are informed by that culture we were raised in. Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, when you realize or recognize that um, our emotions, our experience, and particularly those that are traumatic, um, create uh, a, a chemical, you know, and uh, neural kind of pattern or recognition, you know, that, you know, once you recognize that that happens all the time, you know, it, it just makes sense that our DNA is going to, you know, be affected by that. And then, I mean, that's, you know, that's what's passed on, you know, from generation to generation. So to me, you know, the idea first of, of intergenerational trauma was like, mm, yeah, but, you know, once I recognize the energetic and the impact on DNA that it made, it made sense. And, and it's, um, you know, particularly in the, in the generational, you know, some of that trauma, you know, if you were to look at it now, it's like, wow, you know, if we had known then, what well, we know now kind of thing, um, that, that would shift it or maybe transform it, you know, so that our DNA, we don't pass that on to our children. We don't pass that imprint onto our children. Exactly. And I have children that are 33 and 31 and grandbabies. And yet it's never too late. So I can, I can talk to them about this stuff. I can talk to my kids about this stuff and say, here's some things I noticed. And by the way, you know how I always respond when, or want, or I used to respond when this happened? Um, make sure you don't do the same thing. <laughs> let's watch those patterns of behaviors because your kids just like you watch me so yeah it's yeah. never too late to address that and oh it's so healing it's so healing and and when you look at what might be traumatic and this kind of kind of edges into the conversation of forgiveness which is another skill the that it's part of the fiber of who we are so we also get to a place where we can bless that experience, which may seem really hard to hear if you're really dealing with some big trauma. Yet mm -hmm. if we look at it as the blessing that it is and what we're learning from it and that what it's inviting us to discover and also make sure we don't pass on and and, and lay on our kids or anyone really, our yeah. friends who pick up on our behaviors, um, then we're really, it's part of who we are. It makes up you know, all of our beautiful parts. And that's yeah. more alchemy. There's the alchemy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gosh, we only got about eight minutes left here. But uh, I want to talk about Sarah. <laughs> um, so, Andy, tell us about S-A-R-A-H. Thank you. The morning of 9-11, I woke up to what the whole world saw. Um, and... Um, I, me in Southern California, it was 7 a.m. I think in the morning, and before the second plane hit the building, I heard gather women. Now, mm. I did not know who was, I was not spiritually inclined at that point. I was the director of sales and marketing for a major home builder. I was wrapped up in my middle school kids' lives. You know, I, I was, I had a very structured, you know, life, um, 
big cars, big hair, you know, and I and yet, um, and yet this was a broadcast I could not ignore, and my two feet hit the ground, and I just said, who said that? But I heard gather women, and I later understood that what I was responding to was what women for millennia respond to whenever there's a crisis, and it's to gather women in circle. And I didn't know where I'm supposed to find these women. I had a set, I had a group of friends, not a whole lot, but um, no one I thought would be interested in a conversation like this. Um, and to, to protect and, and, and preserve our community um, is what really was alive in me, what we were to gather to find new solutions to old problems. And about um, a few months later, I was invited into some living room dialogue at the Human Relations Commission of our county, and they were exploring the level of tolerance in our community and looking for solutions, and they were bringing together interfaithful people. And that's where I found the women. And we started Sarah, named after the mother of all nations, um, but the acronym came first, and, um, and became the Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope. And we've met in circle for 20 years now. We've done a lot of community work. We are always, we were always called on to be on university panels, show up at places of crises, like after a shooting at the AME church or the, the Sikh Gudwara or what have you, we were always counted on to bring candles and prayers. We've done community events. We moved the entire community in, into a seven-year weekend of community service. And we just did a lot of work to bring our community together. And we were the mothers of the community. And today we're all online, and our programming is robust. We actually have a very slow U of this year, but we are uh, still very active. And um, we're at sarahforhope.org, number four, hope.org. And um, we are women. We're the largest women's interfaith organization, oldest women's interfaith organization in the world. Wow, that's great. All inspired um, by him. Uh, All inspired by him. Yeah. Uh, and a whole lot of attention. And, and action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, lots of action. Yeah, yeah, very much. So, um, Sandy, what do you hope that, that the readers are going to take away from reading the liminal odyssey? I hope they share it with me because I've heard so many people having so many different experiences. People are rushing to me with what their takeaways are. And I invite you to do that. Um, yet what I think matters most is waking up to our divine assignment, waking up to what we each have. It's different from everyone else. We all have a beautiful, awesome opportunity to experience the spaces in between, to expand our life, and to um, midwife this world that we're heading into. And we don't know where we're going, but we know, but we know we're on our way. And we need mm -hmm. each other. We need each other to be crystal clean and clear and showing up with our in our calling, what Aristotle calls our calling, where your passions meet the needs in the world. Therein lies your calling. Show up in that and in bliss. Follow your bliss. 
And just, I, I couldn't ask for more. That, that, that's wonderful. Um, well, thank you for your time today, Sandy. I really enjoyed our, our conversations. And, and truly, I've been more aware of in between. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very I, – I like the, the challenge, you know, for, for myself of looking for <laughs> Your that. mission. You've accepted your mission, and you're on the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'm on this Well, thank you again, Sandy. I really appreciate your time today. My pleasure and delight. Thank you, Robert. Bye-bye. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Sandy Hart. We've been talking about her new book, The Liminal Odyssey, The Alchemical Power of the Space in Between. And again, you can find out more by visiting her website, www.luminalodyssey.com. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for today's edition. I'll be bringing inspiration to Earth Show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth Show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.